Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Live Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with us another Wednesday evening, where we continue our reflections into this work by Christopher West titled, Fill These Hearts, a work where we have been able to engage all of those essential principles of theology of the body, uh, and principles that really have us asking the deepest questions about the meaning of life. We have been at this now for uh, over a year and a half, and this has led to so many new conversations, um, and I have been so grateful. So I just want to extend a thank you to all of you listeners out there who have been so engaging on this subject matter. And uh, I'm excited for this evening's program because I do have Derek Allen with me. Derek, great to have you with me another evening. Thanks for having me back, Joe. Always enjoy coming in and doing the show with you, so thank you. Yeah, uh, Chris, once again, was unable to uh, join us, Derek. I think uh, the next go-around, he'll, he'll be with us. So here we are, uh, Derek, in this work, Fill These Hearts. We have arrived a- at a threshold point. We are moving out of part one, that part titled Desire, and into part two, that part titled Design. And really what this does for us is it allows us to talk about bigger picture stuff, if you will, desire, design, and destiny. I mean, these are the three Ds that Christopher West takes up to explain, in layman terms, the stuff of theology of the body. Now, how are we made to understand these three Ds? Well, first, desire. What does Christopher West want to communicate with that word desire, and how are we to understand that word? Well, first of all, Derek, when we talk about desire, we are not talking about those trivial desires or those superficial wants within the context of material goods, huh? You know, we so often say, I need this, or I want that, or maybe even I desire to have this thing. That's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about here is that atomic energy of our souls, that universal ache huh, that we feel as human beings for something greater than ourselves. This is what we intend to mean by using the word desire. Remember what the word itself in a lot means, you know, to shoot for the stars, something so great, something so divine that we're constantly reaching up for it. That, that longing that, as we've sort of gotten, talked about before, sort of begins with Eros and leads to agape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Eros is that raw material. And ultimately, agape, that divine sacrificial love, is the finished form of that eros, as John Paul II talks about it. And then we have this word, uh, design, which by definition, it's really interesting, literally means to be set apart for a specific purpose, Hmm. to be set apart for a specific purpose. So in creating man, God rolls up his divine sleeves and creates his masterpiece. You know, this part is answering that question, Derek, what does the very design of our bodies as male and female tell us about God's plan for our lives, huh? I mean, why did he make us as sexual beings? Why did he make sex so pleasurable, so alluring and attractive? As Christopher West asks, was it only to dangle a carrot in front of our noses and then forbid us the satisfaction of eating it? No. And here he talks about destiny, 
because we are created for bliss, for ecstasy, and our hearts know it. And this is the good news of theology of the body. Well, and I think it, when all, whenever I hear the word destiny, I always think of that passage from St. Paul, those that he knew, he also predestined. And I think it's easy for us to think of destiny as, oh, our design. You know, we were meant to do things this way in this order. But I think it's helpful if we think of destiny as a destination. Mm-hmm. We were designed for a destination in mind, of course, that destination being heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you hear the word design, what do you think of maybe art? You know, if you were to talk to any artist, they will tell you as they are painting or drawing, whatever it is that they are putting together, that they are working with the end in mind, right? And that end is uh, that church or that museum where this painting or uh, drawing or maybe sculpture is going to go. Um, It has a very specific end, if you will. So you work with the end in mind. And obviously, this is what God does, because God is the great artist. You know, recently we have uh, uh, bought a home, and we're putting up our stuff in the house, and we're painting, and we're painting with the end in mind. We're painting, we're using certain colors in light of other colors, right? We're putting things up that are going to bring out colors. And so this, of course, is what lies in in the heart of the artist. You work with the end in mind. And of course, Derek, this is what God does, huh? In our very design. When we cooperate with our nature, when we cooperate with our maleness or femaleness, if you will, what we are doing essentially is bringing out the beauty and the splendor of the body of Christ, our unrepeatable character, the unrepeatable gift that we are to the world. Well, and it's, it's interesting that you would bring up art. Christopher West says the same thing at the beginning of this chapter. Uh, you know, hopefully a, a form of art that most of us are all familiar with, um, the art of stereograms. Yeah. I'm sure most of the listeners can remember those picture books from when they were a kid. You open it up, and it just seemed like these random collection of lines and colors and whatnot. But if you look at them cross-eyed or if you sort of don't focus on the page, an image appears in all of that sort of randomness. Now... Interestingly enough, I guess Christopher West was given one of these books several years ago by a friend, and this was the first time he had ever been introduced to this particular form of art, shall we say. Um, but it's interesting that even though those books, they, they accomplish something that's kind of cool. You're looking at a 2D surface, mm-hmm. but yet through these images, a 3D image appears. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as we talk about these 3Ds, um, desire, design, and destiny, we can almost think of those books as sort of an analogy for, for creation. Mm-hmm. We, ha- we have to look further. We have to look in to creation. Yeah, and there's something to remember when you talk about theology of the body, that there is this mystical component to it. And what do we mean by using the, the, the term mystical? Well, the, the mystical, I think to some degree we've all experienced, Derek, that the mystical is when... Within the ordinary, we experience the extraordinary. Within our earthly encounters, we experience something divine. And out from these encounters, out from these experiences, we have this keen conviction that God is working in the ordinary. And out from that keen conviction, we experience then this kind of mystical understanding of all of our encounters— we could say a new depth dimension. That's really what Christopher West is after. He wants us to see that 
all of our encounters with especially people, but also the things around us have another depth dimension. And God lifts the scales from our eyes so that we might see this depth dimension and ultimately then appreciate creation for what it is. Well, I think it's it's interesting that when we bring up mysticism, so to speak, you know, we can think of St. Teresa of Avila or um, St. John of the Cross, some of the great mystics of the church, and think, oh, well, mysticism's kind of done. There's no mystic aspect to the church anymore. But really, what are the sacraments? Mm-hmm. You know, these ordinary things, these ordinary normal things, bread and wine, mm-hmm. that then God breathes in and makes them extraordinary, the yeah. body and blood of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, baptism, water. Oh, yeah. I mean, he takes what is ordinary and makes it extraordinary. Why does he do this? Because he meets us how he makes us. Why does, when healing the blind man, he go to the earth, make mud, wipe the blind man's eyes, and say, you are healed? Did he have to do that? Couldn't he have just said, you can see, go and be on your way? Of course he could have, because he's God, he can do whatever he wants to do, yet... Yet, he wants us to see that there is a sacramentality to matter, that there is a sacramentality to earthly things, and that they can be used for purposes of sanctification. That sacramentality that transfers into our own design. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not just carnal beings, we are um, body and soul. Yes, yes. A point that we could never reinforce enough on this very specific topic Derek, and that is the sacramentality of our bodies, because I think it really does illuminate for our listeners a clarity, if you will, into what we're talking about. What do I mean? Well, if we are happy, what do we do? We smile. We yes, laugh. yes. If we are sad, what do we do? We cry, we pout. And we see physical tears, huh? Yeah. And when we are embarrassed, what do we do? Well, we blush, yep. right? We, we turn a different shade of pink, maybe. Right? There is a unity of body and soul. There is something being expressed on the outside that belongs to an, an inward reality. And that, of course, is what the sacramental life is all about, and certainly what the unity of uh, the body and soul is all about. So design is very important. And this whole definition of being set apart for a specific purpose, does this not speak, Derek, to the essence of holiness? and why we need to take up our bodies in light of this holiness, okay? Uh, I mean, that's kind of what St. Paul is getting at when he says that the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, that it comes with the practice of the virtues, especially temperance and fortitude, and and in shaping our bodies to follow the lead of the soul. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we are given the grace, and by grace we are talking about the, the very sustenance of God, spiritual food, but we have to cooperate in that grace. There's the beautiful image we were uh, sharing the other day that comes from Fulton Sheen. You know, he offered the image of an alarm clock. You know, grace is like an alarm clock. It wakes us up. It doesn't no, get us out of bed, no, right? No, it doesn't. The alarm clock doesn't reach out, grab us, and pull us out of bed. We have to will it. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What do we want to do? We want to go back to bed. Sure. Right? But we have to overcome our laziness, our sleepiness, and rise up with God's grace. This is why we say we need to cooperate in God's grace. Cooperatus, right? Cum with operate. The, the operatus or operatio is to toil, to struggle. We have to will it, and in so doing, walk with God. 
we have to overcome our flesh and at the same time be obedient to it. Realize that God has a divine plan stamped into the very biology of our bodies, and we have to be obedient to that. Well, I think it's important for us to mention, too, that it's not just the biology of our own bodies, but the biology across the spectrum of creation, mm-hmm. that, that all of creation speaks to this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not just humanity in, our, in the fact that we are created in the image and likeness of God. No, God has taken this and permeated it through all of creation. How many times in the Psalms does it say something like this, and the rocks shall cry out to the mm-hmm. Lord, or the trees will cry out to the Lord, or nature will cry out to the Lord? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I almost imagine it this way. Is if, for whatever reason, humanity decided, okay, on this day, from this point on, we're no longer going to worship God. We're just going to stop. It would be interesting to see how many wild things would suddenly start having church on that day yeah. <laughs> to make up for our lacking. <laughs> yeah, and one of the points that Christopher West draws out that we've touched upon before is how in nature itself there is a rhythm of life, and we're not going to get into all of that right now, but one of the words that essentially is highlighted within that is complementarity, the masculine and feminine quality within creation. For example, if you were to go to the seashore, you're going to find uh, maybe some large rocks, and those rocks represent the masculine. They are sturdy, they are strong, they're not going anywhere. And then you have the water, that which is fertile, that which is life-giving. And together... They are deeply satisfying because as the rock is masculine and the water is feminine, they belong to each other. Huh? What is uh, the water without land and the land without water? Huh? Well, and, and to speak of, of the seashore, I mean, look at the, the fruit of that. Mm. Who doesn't like standing on the beach and hearing the sound of waves crashing upon the rocks? And as Peter Kreft notes, it is no wonder why all of the most expensive property in the world is beachfront property. What might be $250,000, you know, more inland is $17 million on the coast. And that's an actual fact here in the state of California, right? Why? Because it gets back to the bigger topic, huh? Of desire, design, and destiny. We desire, Derek, we desire... We ache for that complementarity. We want to be a part of what's right in the order of creation. Well, and it's funny how those of us who are in English-speaking countries miss this in our language. Mm. Because if you go to almost any other language, Spanish, French, not, you know, there probably aren't a lot of our listeners who are fluent in Latin, but if you go to those romantic languages... What do nouns have? Nouns have gender, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which in English, of course, most of our nouns, except for proper ones, are usually gender neutral. Yeah, yeah. Um, So even in the speech of certain countries, you see this masculine and feminine. Yeah, I remember studying Spanish in college, and one of my buddies, what's with all this masculinity and femininity, right? I, I don't, doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me, and of course, he's speaking to, you know, learning this language and how difficult it was uh, for him, but it highlights what you're talking about. Until you understand, too, what is masculine and feminine, will you come to understand the language itself? And uh, that's such a beautiful example of what we're talking about here, because only in understanding the uh, gender quality of how we use words will we better understand the language itself. The same can be said 
just not about creation, Derek, but also our very bodies. And this is why it's so important to understand the attributes that belong to what is properly feminine and masculine. Well, and again, another quote from Peter Kraft, did it ever occur to you that human sexuality is derived from cosmic sexuality and not vice versa? That we are a local application of a universal principle? If not, please seriously consider the idea now, for it is one of the oldest and most widely held ideas in our history, and one of the happiest. It is a happy idea because it puts humanity into a more human universe. We fit. We are not freaks. What we are, everything else is also, though in different ways and different degrees. We are, to use the medieval image, a microcosm. Mm. A little cosmos, the universe is the macrocosm. The same pattern written large. And this means that sexuality goes all the way up and all the way down the cosmic ladder. Mm. Amen. And how can you not think of the cross to Christ on the cross? Uh, because one thing that theology of the body does is it constantly goes back to the cross. We've made this point before, and it's so important for us to begin to integrate. What am I talking about? Well, <laughs> Christ is what? The bridegroom, right? And we are made to see what comes from his side, his bride. And when we come to appreciate the feminine quality, the female quality of the church, church as mother, we can begin to appreciate all the more its role in uh, the world today. Well, I think it's it's important for us to keep in mind, I've, I know I've said this before, but to see the cross as the nuptial bed for the church. Yeah. That, you know, we can almost, we see the wedding feast at Cana, and it can be easy for us or tempting for us to say, well, that must have been sort of Christ's wedding. But no, the wedding for Christ in the church was the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what does he say on the cross? You know, consummatum est, which means... It is consummated. Yes, it is consummated. Well, what's consummated? Well, what is the crucifixion about? What is it that comes from his side? But the blood and water that signify, yes, baptism, but also the Eucharist. The Eucharist is where we enter into this nuptial consummation, if you will, with Jesus Christ himself. You know, Derek, over the past four weeks, we have been spending our time in John chapter 6, the Bread of Life discourse. What is he saying in that whole discourse? You must eat of the flesh and drink of my blood if you wish to have eternal life. You must consummate yourself with me in the Eucharist if you wish to have eternal life. This is the language of John chapter 6. This is the language of consummation. This is the language of ultimately... Uh, what lies at the heart of theology of the body. Well, and those are the words of Christ himself. You know, it, it's it's not an apostle speaking during the Bread of Life discourse. No, it's, it's meant to be Jesus speaking during the Bread of Life discourse. And I think it's important because we often miss, we can get so centralized, so self-focused that we receive Jesus. But also Christ receives us in the celebration of the Eucharist. It, it is a two-way street, just like the marital embrace is. Um, we receive, but we are also received into him. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And it's important for us to remember that. Yeah, and just as we receive and consume the flesh of Christ, so does the flesh of Christ consume us. I mean, to understand and to appreciate that it is Christ who is consuming us is quite provocative. And it shouldn't fall too far from us, Derek, because why? Well, again... What happens when two become one? The female 
is consumed by the male and the male is consumed by the female. There is this consummation, being consumed, literally, being absorbed by one another, right? And this powerful expression ultimately is what leads or points to our destiny, that we are sharing uh, in an earthly form, physical form, form, yes, but sharing nonetheless in something that awaits us eternally. So very important, and, and I know we can easily get uh, theological on this topic, but there's so many provoking things going on as we enter into uh, this whole topic of design. Now, Christopher West makes note here, uh, Derek, that in the end, to talk about masculine and to talk about feminine is to uh, really speak to the ultimate uh, purpose of sex, right? Sure. Which, which we've already touched upon. And, and I like what Christopher West here has to say. He says, when we open our eyes to it, we see that all of creation speaks of the mystery of marriage, of the attraction and union of creative difference. And creation's story culminates in our creative difference as male and female. As the crown of creation, man and woman tell God's story more vividly than the sun and the earth or the birds and the bees ever could. So what is he saying here? Well, as we speak to the complementarity of, say, the rock and the water, that only points to something so much more uh, explosive that is going on between male and female. And even if you look, you know, Jesus says to judge a fruit or a tree by its fruit, you know, sure, the sound of the waves crashing on the rocks is pleasant and enjoyable and certainly will increase your property value. <laughs> yeah. um, but look at the joy that comes from bringing children, yeah. from raising kids, from having a family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would say most people would probably trade their trade for their family over the rocks and the waves yes. any day. Yeah. Well, and there's something transforming that comes with life itself right? Um, that is life with a will. <laughs> yeah. And, and we have to be present to that lest we fall into this mindset of, uh, of an idolizing or worship of creation itself. We are not tending towards a worship of creation, but essentially appreciating, appreciating creation for what it is as a reflection of its creator. What it was designed to do. Yes, which is draw us into the deeper mystery of God himself. And we know God to be more than just creator, but he is creator and father. And so it is entering into our relationship with God as father that we come to better understand this deeper mystery that abides in complementarity, that abides in the male and female, the masculine and feminine, and this theme of complementarity that we've been talking about. Well, and I think just to take a quick side note out of, you know, sort of the bigger picture, it's interesting, especially with what Pope Francis, you know, his writing in Laudato Si, um, the way that he talks about the, you know, the sort of commerce of everything, you know, that that we have this tendency in modern society to just use things, mm -hmm. whether that be each other or nature or whatever it is, to just use resources and discard them. Mm -hmm. But what I think Pope Francis is really getting to is the design of creation Absolutely. as it was meant to be. Absolutely. Yeah, if we have this in the language of Pope Francis, consumer mentality, where we just, quote-unquote, throw everything away. We will never appreciate the gift of creation for what it is, and if we don't have that understanding, then it's going to limit our understanding of who we are. Right. 
This is why this encyclical is a glove ball fit to what Benedict XVI had written about in this area, as well as John Paul II. For those who are well-versed in Pope Francis's uh, predecessors, they know well that ultimately uh, Pope Francis is essentially bringing home what St. John Paul II and Benedict XVI started, which brings us back to the essence of what theology of the body is about, which is discovering our purpose in light of God's plan that he imprinted into the very core of who we are as male and female, right? And and that purpose is not to exist as a commodity. Yeah. Um, You know, Pope Francis uses the word commodification of everything. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we try to sell and trade anything we can find, but that's not the point. Yeah. You know, the point is to use the created world, as, as you mentioned, that reflection of the creator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's an exciting time to really, to be alive, to see how theology of the body has sort of reverberated already through the future, you know? Yeah, it really has, and it's interesting. If you were to go to Washington, D.C., as they talk about, you know, what do we need to be discussing in our catechetical schools? What do we need to be talking about in our theological schools? What, what do we need to be talking about at the pulpit? The one thing, Derek, that keeps on coming up um, is theology of the body. Yes, we need to be talking about uh, the four pillars of the faith, the creed, the sacramental economy, that is the sacraments, the moral life, and the spiritual life. But within that, we need to be making sure we are talking about theology of the body, because if we remove that from it, then we're not going to have the proper trajectory, ultimately, of how we are going to better understand what it means to live a purpose-driven life. Well, I mean, I think that really points to the genius of of God is that he takes something that is so universal, the body, something that we all experience, that we all deal with every single day. I mean, we're we're physical beings. We have to. It's part of our existence. And yet God has created those in such a way as to reveal himself. And how creation itself is seen in light of that genius. So important. Well, looking up at the clock, Derek, we are out of time. I don't know if you had any uh, closing thoughts to our subject matter this evening. We really are, are kind of laying the foundation for this whole part. Yep. Really, we, we didn't really necessarily get into the essence of what Christopher West was getting into, but we just want to paint a, a bigger picture into um, where we've been, where we're at, and ultimately where we're going. And in closing, it kind of reminded me of a, a quote from, Saint, or from Pope Benedict. Um, the world calls you to comfort but you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. Amen. You could substitute the word for design, the word yeah. made for design. Yeah. You were not designed for comfort. You were designed for greatness. Yeah. And to be great means to not blend in, right? We have to be set apart because this is our holy purpose. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, The website is joeholcraft.org.